This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. You guys can be seated and turning your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm. We are in a series called Summer in the Psalms, and today we are looking at uh, the classic Psalm 23. And what we see here is that God is our good shepherd. He is our gracious host. Psalm 23 is just a beautiful portrait of who our God is. Let's look at it. Psalm 23. I'm going to be reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. A lot of us memorized this passage of Scripture in the King James, and that's really beautiful. But it's really helpful to look at different translations of Scripture because, especially with a familiar passage like Psalm 23, it'll shine kind of a different aspect of light than maybe what you've seen before. So let's look at it this morning. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. And so, Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would take your word and that you would bring it home to our hearts and then out from our hearts into our living. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In green pastures he makes me lie down He restores my soul And leads me on for his name For his great name Surely goodness Surely Right beside me all my days And I will dwell in your house forever And bless your holy name You prepare a table right presence of my enemy 
Though the arrow flies And the terror of the night is at my door Yes, I'll trust you, Lord And surely goodness Surely mercy Right beside me all my days And I will dwell in your house forever And bless your holy name Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death the shadow of death you are on my side even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no shadow of death you are on my side and surely goodness surely mercy right beside me all my days and One of the silver linings of the past few months has been that I've come to really enjoy like I never have before working in our yard. And the, the more stuff that I, I do out there, the, the more I start to notice things that I had never noticed before because when you're trying to thin out or, you know, weed or whatever, you kind of need to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. You need to know what you, what you want to keep and kind of what needs to go and all of that and the difference between good plants and bad plants. And so fortunately, we have some neighbors that are really good with that stuff. That's another silver lining of the last few months, getting to know our neighbors uh, better. But we have neighbors who are good at identifying trees and plants and stuff like that. And so I've reached out to, to them and it's been fascinating just to kind of learn a lot of new stuff that was there all along and I simply had not seen it. And, and uh, I was talking to our, our next door neighbor the other day and she pointed to a tree and it actually borders the two properties. So part of it is in our yard and part of it is in hers. And she was remarking about how this particular tree just yields this 
beautiful, fragrant blossom in November. And I had, <laughs> I had never seen that. And, and, uh, and I was fascinated by it. And, and later on, she texted me a picture of that kind of a tree and the blossom and everything. And I figured she just gotten it off the internet and it was a tree, like the same kind of tree that what we have um, that borders our two yards. And so I texted back, I said, is this the, same, is this the kind of tree that we have? And she texted back, um, it's a picture of our tree. <laughs> and I wish I could tell you that like this was on some remote corner of our property, but it's not. I had like been past it like thousands and thousands of times and I had not noticed. I had not noticed the beauty or stopped to smell the fragrance. And see, we can do that with God's word and we can especially especially do that with familiar passages from God's word, like Psalm 23. We can just drive right on by without stopping to smell the fragrance and take in the beauty that is there. And so let's do that with the 23rd Psalm this morning. It is, it is a picture of who God is. And it breaks down very simply. Verses one through four are about God as our good shepherd, and verses five and six are about God as our gracious host. Let's look at both of them today. First of all, he is our good shepherd. So let's check out verse one. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now this image, this metaphor of God as a shepherd has a rich biblical history. It's all over the Old Testament. We'll look at just a couple of passages. One is in the 100th Psalm, beautiful Psalm that we often read at Thanksgiving. Psalm 103 says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. The image of God as our shepherd is also rich in the prophets. And in Isaiah 40, 11, here God is pictured almost in maternal types of, of, of terms that he is, is nurturing and caring for his people. Isaiah 40, 11 says he protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. So going back to verse one again, let's take note of several things here. First of all, Notice that Psalm 23 begins with God and not with us. The Lord is my shepherd. Second, note the intimacy of David's language here. He does not say that the Lord is a shepherd or even that the Lord is the shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. That's intimate relational language. My life changed when I was 17 years old and I heard a friend of mine talking about God as if he knew him in this kind of relational language. 
Notice also in verse one, how God provides for his people. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. It's not that he promises to provide for our greed, but for our need. Now certainly, there were bad shepherds. There were bad, like literal shepherds that took care of literal sheep in the ancient Near East, but they were bad shepherds and they didn't provide for the flock. There were bad spiritual shepherds. The Old Testament talks about them quite often. Priests who did not really care for the flock and and provide for and seek to protect the flock. So certainly there can be bad shepherds, but that is not our God. He is our good shepherd. And he provides for and he cares for his, his lambs. Now Jesus brings this just a full, beautiful flower in the 10th chapter of John, and it's not going to be on your screen, so turn in your Bibles to the 10th chapter of John. John chapter 10, because this chapter is filled with, with shepherd imagery, and we, we see here that, 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 that Jesus is the fulfillment of this shepherd language. He is our good shepherd. John chapter 10, and let's pick it up in the latter part of verse three here. It says that he calls, Jesus is speaking here, and he says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows everything going on in your life. (laughs) Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows every issue, every challenge, every problem, every concern, every burden. Our God knows it. Our good shepherd knows it. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. He leads us. We don't have to do life alone. And it says in verse four, when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. Right, our God goes ahead of us, right? He is leading the way. If there's danger out there before us, you know what? God's gonna get there before we ever get there. He goes ahead of them. And it says the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. And then pick it up in verse 11. Jesus says here, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as a father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And then notice in verse 16, the missionary vision here. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is the heart of God. He's not just coming for Israel. 
not just one people, but all the peoples, every tribe and tongue. There will be lambs of God from every people group, every ethnicity, every race, every tribe, every tongue gathered around one flock, one shepherd, one family. That is the glorious future of God's people. All right, now let's go back to Psalm 23 and let's look at verses 2 and three. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. You know, sheep are not the smartest of animals. <laughs> it's humbling <laughs> to be a sheep, but that's what we are. Right? Charles Spurgeon says, says this. Spurgeon says, a sheep is one of the most unwise of creatures. <laughs> it will go anywhere except in the right direction. It will leave a fat pasture to wander into a barren one. It will find ways, many ways, but not the right way. It would wander through a forest and find its way through ravines into the wolf's jaws, but never by its own wariness turn away from the wolf. <laughs> It could wander near his den, but it would not instinctively turn aside from the place of danger. It knows how to go astray, but it does not know how to come home again. Left to itself, it would not know in what pasture to feed in summer or where to retire in winter. So part of flourishing in the Christian life is to humbly accept the fact that you are a sheep. Humbly accept the fact that you are a sheep in need of a shepherd. Again, Spurgeon says, no one can say the Lord is my shepherd until he has given up every idle notion that he can control or manage his own interests. We cannot do it, we are the sheep. We need a shepherd. We need him constantly. Look at verse three again. It says, he renews my life. Or, or in the old King James it says, he restores my, my soul. But, but you see, we need that constantly. In Ephesians 5.18, when the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit, the tense there really means keep being filled with the Spirit because we leak, right? Keep being filled with the Spirit. We need to continually be refreshed and renewed throughout our lives on a daily basis. It's constantly coming to the Lord, constantly being renewed and restored. Oh, how we need that. Yeah, back in the 2000s, I was pastor to uh, a multi-star general in the Air Force, and he and I were in a Bible study together, and this is in the aftermath of 9-11, and so this guy had all kinds of weights and pressure points and just stuff coming at him constantly, and 
I remember talking to him one day, and he was a, a distance runner, you know, and he'd tell me, man, I just ran for two hours. <laughs> and I'm like, well, Kevin, what'd you do? You know, I mean, because I'm, I'm listening to playlist or <laughs> podcast or whatever when I'm running. He's like, what? I'm like, what are you listening to? I mean, he's like, I, I don't listen to anything when I run. He says, that, that, is, that is a time for me when I am, I'm, I'm, I'm working through problems, I'm problem solving, I'm, I'm praying, I'm meditating on scripture, and it's just a combination of those things, but when I get done, I've got clarity. <laughs> I've got renewal. Now, that is not the way that I run. <laughs> I, I, hopefully, I have those times in my life, but it's just, it's just like not what I'm, I'm running. But for him, that was his time. But listen, the point is, whatever time it is for you, you need that time. We all do. We desperately need our lives to be renewed. We need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot do without that. You're kidding yourself if you think that you're too busy to give time to God. The truth is that you're too busy not to. He renews us, he restores us, and we need it continually. Note note the motivation here in verse three. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. God's ultimate motivation for leading us is his own glory. Now certainly he leads you because he loves you. Obviously he loves you. You are his precious son or daughter in Christ. Yes, he loves you. But ultimately he he leads you because God is absolutely committed to uphold the glory of his name. God will uphold his character and his promises. And God in his character and his promises has promised to lead his people and not let go of his people. And he will not deny his name. And so he leads us for his namesake. How does he do that? How does he lead us? He doesn't do it by spitting out a blueprint of the next decade of our lives, does he? No. You know how God leads us? God leads us by saying, I want you to walk with me. I want you to simply walk with me. I want you to simply begin by walking with me today. Today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus, tomorrow will worry about itself. Walk with me today, right now, one day at a time. And God says that when we walk with him, that the path will unfold. He will lead us down right paths. And you know what? That's a lot more interesting way to live. It's a lot more exciting way to live than if we had a blueprint of the next decade. It's more exciting to walk with God day by day, wherever he leads, and he will. Look at verse four. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know what, walking with God does not mean a trial-free, pain-free life. If you're encountering trials, on your walk, that does not mean that you're not walking with God. 
walking with God does not mean our lives are free of pain or free of trials and difficulty. What it does mean is that whatever you walk through, you do not walk through it alone. And therefore, you need not fear because God is at your side. And as we sung earlier, nothing that comes against you will be able to stand. If God is for us, who can stand against us? He is with you. Whatever you walk through, his rod and his staff, they comfort. And you know what? They also protect. I was looking at your shepherds in the, ancient, in the ancient Near East. They used that rod and that staff also as protection for the flock. And so our, your God is protecting you. He's going before you. He's got whatever's coming down the pike. He's got your front. He's got behind you. He's got your flanks. He's got you. He's got you. John Stott says, my security lies not in my environment, whether green pastures and still waters or the darkest valley, but in my shepherd. Praise God. He's your good shepherd. Second, he's your gracious host. He's our gracious host. In verses five and six, the imagery shifts from the pasture to a house that God is welcoming us into. Let's look at it. Verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Now, because we're used to hearing Psalm 23 at funerals, we tend to make the application of verses five and six to something that's going to happen after we die. And, and listen, it's entirely appropriate to read Psalm 23 at funerals. I, I, I often read Psalm 23 at funerals. But, but the application, we need to understand that God is not just talking about something that's reality after we pass away. When he, when he talks about this table that's prepared, he is talking about now. This is present tense, right here, right now. God is welcoming you in. And this table is, is, is laid out. Look at it. You prepare a table before me. This is a feast, a feast that is laid out before you. The table is set. The food is on the table. And the image here is God lovingly beckoning you to come in. And when you come in, he anoints your head with oil. Oils have made a comeback, right? <laughs> in the past few years, after centuries of, 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 being, of being dormant. But in, the, in, in, the ancient, in ancient times, a gracious host would not even think of welcoming guests into their home without anointing their head with refreshing oil. And that's what it's talking about here. God welcomes you in. He refreshes you. He anoints your head 
with oil. The feast is laid out. It says, your, your, my cup overflows. In other words, the picture here is abundance. Abundance. Like there's more than enough in him. There's cups overflowing. All you need. Now notice in verse five also that it says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's, that phrase, in the presence of my enemies, that's so, in, that's so interesting. Often we, we memorize a psalm and we don't stop to think, what's that really about? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my, my enemies. So what's, what's, what's the deal with that um, enemy language? Um, well, it's an acknowledgement that we have enemies. We have enemies. And guess what? Your enemies are not other people. And it's important to remember that in the culture that we're living in because there are those who want to divide people into tribes and to make you think that your enemy is other people. There are, you know, voices in politics and voices in the media of both the left and the right that are making lots and lots of money by pitting people against one another and fomenting division and anger and making people think that their enemy is other people. Well, I've got news for you. Your enemy is not other people. But you do have enemies. <laughs> it's just not other people. Now these enemies are spiritual. First Peter chapter five and verse eight tells us about our real enemy. It says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Ephesians chapter six and verses 11 and 12, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, the enemy is not other human beings. It is not the Democrats, it is not the Republicans, it is not that difficult person that you work with or that you go to school with. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Paul is talking here about principalities and powers of spiritual evil. And so when you hear voices of either the right or the left that seek to demonize other people, you should have the discernment to tune it out. Because your enemy, there are demons that you need to be concerned with, but it's not other people. There are demonic forces, there are principalities and powers of darkness. That is our enemy. But, 
as strong as they are. They are powerless at this feast. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, they can watch what's going on. (laughs) But they're powerless to intervene. They cannot stop it. They cannot stop it. They cannot come between you and God. They cannot prevent the advance of the gospel. They cannot prevent what he is doing in your life. They cannot prevent you from enjoying this feast at the table that God has prepared. They're there. They're filled with rage. They see, but they are powerless to intervene. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then what does he say in verse six? He says, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Now, this term faithful love, in the, in, the, in the King James, it's mercy. Surely, surely goodness and mercy. And that's just a good translation of this Hebrew word. But I like the way the CSB translates this Hebrew word because it's the word hesed. And it, it's, it's a word that's hard to render in English. But it's a combination of loyalty and love. And so it's Faithful love, right? It's, 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 it's loyalty, faithfulness, and it's love. It's a combination of those two things. And listen, the ultimate place that we see the hesed of the Lord, make no mistake, is in Jesus. Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid says this, the fullness of the Lord's hesed is seen in the cross, They're the true Hasid, Jesus Christ himself, the only human ever truly to be loyal to the Lord and to his neighbor in every aspect of life was treated as a covenant breaker and cursed for sin so that we who are unfaithful might be clothed in his faithfulness and thus redeemed. The Lord's Hesed will never let us go. In the midst of life's trials and tragedies, we may cry out to our loving Lord in confidence that nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the loyal love that chose us before time began, is sanctifying us in the present, and will faithfully bring us to our eternal home. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the one who welcomes you in to the table that has been set and it has been prepared and you can be welcomed in, not on the basis of who you are, but on the basis of who he is, his loyal love, love that went to the cross and laid down his life for you and was raised from the dead so that we also can live, and so that we can take part in this feast that he has prepared now and forever. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.